I want to talk about the Apostle Peter tonight, or this morning, pardon me. I was talking about last night, and then another message dropped on me. So I'm going to entitle this message, Lessons from the Life of Peter. And I want to talk about his problem, then I want to talk about his promise, and then the process God took him to. In John 1.42, Andrew has just met Jesus. What's so neat is Andrew knew where Jesus was. ever wish Jesus was still alive and he lived in your neighborhood? And Andrew came and said, man, I found this Jesus. He said, well, let me come. And Jesus says, one look at Peter, he says this, Simon, you're Simon, son of Jonah. But you're going to be called something. I'm going to make you into something. I'm going to make you into a Cephas, which is translated Peter, which means rock. He later told him, if you follow me, Peter, if you give yourself to me, you will not spend the rest of your life catching fish. You'll catch humans in the net of my love and touch them. Peter had incredible destiny had incredible potential. And there's such potential in this room. Such destiny. I would imagine every gift of the Spirit we see in the Bible is in this room today multiple times over. Healing gifts, miracle gifts, leadership gifts, unique administrative gifts. Peter had a problem. Matthew 26, 33 through 35, Jesus is at the Last Supper. Just imagine you're in the cell group of Jesus Christ. That's not a bad small group leader. Your other small group members are the original 12 apostles. It's the first communion, and Jesus just warned them, you're going to fall away. And Peter raises his says, nope, I'll never do it. You're wrong. Even if all fall away on account of you, I will never. Jesus said, now, Peter, I'm telling you, before the rooster crows in the morning, you will disown me three times. Peter said, no way, you're wrong, sorry, you're God, you're wrong, I'm Peter, I'm the rock, the rest of these flakes will fall, never me. Now, in another version, Luke 22, Jesus, Peter, let's be real specific. He calls him Simon. Now, whenever the Lord calls you by your old name, you know there's a problem. He's trying to emphasize something. You're acting a lot more like that guy I met at the beach three and a half years ago than that Peter. Like Simon, kind of like, how many of you had your mother when you are in trouble called you a different name? If God ever does that, you know there's a problem. Okay. Simon, Simon, Simon. Satan himself is asked to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. You know what he just said? The good news is I'm praying. The bad news is I told him yes. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, I'll go to prison. I'll die for you. Said, Peter. Before the rooster crows three times. Now, what kind of arrogance, what kind of insecurity is in a human? They'll argue with God. Oh, you're wrong. I'll never fall. You don't really know me. Of course, he went right out. Denied Jesus three times. The last time, a little teenage girl went up and said, didn't I see you with Jesus? He cursed and denied it. What's the problem? How could you have Jesus as your pastor and not be transformed. What's missing? Many of you said, if I could just see the dead raised, I'd believe. Peter saw it multiple times. He saw thousands fed. He walked on water. He saw Jesus transfigured on the top of a mountain. What is he missing? What's it take to really transform you and I? You see, you could be in a great small group Great church, great pastor, 
great teaching, but it may not be enough. Fortunately, there was a promise. Jesus had told the disciples hours before in John 16, 6 and 7, right now you're, you're filled with grief because I said these things. He just said, I'm leaving. I'm going away. You're not going to have me in physical form much longer. So it says, but I'm telling you, the best thing that ever happened to you is not having me physically anymore. Not having me as your small group leader anymore. Not having me as your pastor anymore. Because if I don't go away, the advocate, the counselor, the helper, he won't come. But I'm going to send him. Just as there's an era coming, there's a time coming where I am going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And he won't just be with you like I've been. He will make his home in you. He later said, my father and I will make our home in you. The Trinity is going to dwell in you. Luke 24, 49, he looks at them and says this, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And Acts 1, 8 said, he said, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witness. What am I saying? No matter what type of discipleship you've had, you're in a great church. Great elders, great staff, great team, great speaking. Maybe you're in a great small group. God's moving here. Church is growing. Not enough. I want to talk to you today about your relationship with the Holy Spirit and how it changed Peter and how it changed your life. Now, when the Holy Spirit begins to get a hold of you, which starts when you're first born again, you begin a process. And I want to talk about three things in the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to talk about the regenerative power of the Holy Spirit. When you come into contact with him, he will give you a new nature. He'll give you new power. I want to talk about his renewability. That means no matter what you're facing today, you can have more and more of the Holy Spirit in your life. Lastly, the Holy Spirit is a reconciler. And when he gets a hold of you, he will take you on a journey of reconciliation that'll start with those you're offended with, It'll shake up your marriage. You'll view ethnicity in a radically different way. The need of the hour for the church today is not just more teaching. It is a fresh encounter with the power of the Holy Spirit. Because what could not happen to Peter after three and a half years of being with Jesus, when Jesus breathed on him and that began his experience with the Holy Spirit, that man who could be such a buffoon, who could be such a coward, Such a braggart humbled himself and was transformed by God's spirit. Now I want to talk to you about how do you encounter the Holy Spirit? And when you do, what happens? What's it like? In John 20, 22, Jesus has been raised from the dead and only the women in the group. We we forget, we think of the 12. There was also a group of 12 women, not 12, a number of women, financed what Jesus was doing, traveled, ministered. They believe they didn't. Disciples were scared to death in the upper room. It's interesting, the upper room where they were and so afraid was the very room where later the power of the Holy Spirit would fall on them. And right there, John 20, 22, Jesus walked through a wall. And he looks at them, he said, peace, don't be afraid. Showed him his hands, showed him the feet, showed him the wounds. And he, each one of them, he said this, as my dad has sent me into the world, I send you. And the Bible said he... He breathed on them. And when he breathed on them, he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, the word breathed is the same word used in Genesis 2-7. 
in the Greek Septuagint, the Greek version of the Bible, where it says the Lord God formed a man from dust and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living soul. Now, when Jesus breathed on the disciples, what happened? You see, the moment you are born again, yes, you receive a new family, the family of God. Yes, you receive a new righteousness, your sins are forgiven, but you also receive a new nature. And when Jesus breathed on them, the new nature began to form in them. What is your new nature? Second Corinthians five seventeen says, if you're in Christ, you've been recreated. You are a new creation. Something has been created in here. The old is gone, the new has come. The moment you were born again, your human spirit. And when the Bible says you're dead in trespasses and sins, that doesn't mean your spirit doesn't function and can't sense the supernatural. It means your spirit is unconnected to God. But when you're born again, watch this, the Holy Spirit and your spirit are reunited, reconnected, come together, allowing the life and the peace and the power of God to flow into you. That's the moment you're born again. I'll never forget when Kathy had cancer for the second time. My wife, we've been married 37 years. This time they thought it spread down into her brain. I had four small children. And we live in a small town in eastern North Carolina where we were pastoring many, many decades ago. And the doctor says, I think your wife has brain cancer. We'll know in the morning. Have a good night. I love that. So I was driving back home to the medical center. You got four small kids. You think your wife has brain cancer. You're afraid. Driving back through the fog. Remember, I have a new nature. That means I'm connected to the Godhead through the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, as afraid of I was, a literal peace began to flood into my soul and I could not be afraid anymore. You see, when you begin to walk in intimacy with God, when he forms that new nature and I begin to worship, and I began to pray for her, and God said, don't pray for your wife, it's a waste of your time. Then I got real scared. I said, well, like, what do you mean? He goes, she's fine. And sure enough, the next morning, no cancer. Now, the Spirit of God flooded. This Holy Spirit, as you draw close to God with this new nature, will flood you with joy, flood you with peace. That anxiety over your children, over your business. You see, that Peter who had been so arrogant, That Peter had been so insecure. When Jesus breathed on him and that new nature was formed, that insecure man began to be flooded internally with peace for the first time. But the Holy Spirit doesn't just give you a new peace. He doesn't just give you a new nature. He gives you new power. Now, you remember when Jesus told them, he said, listen, don't go preach, don't go minister. I want you, I want you to go back to Jerusalem and don't, leave until the power of the Holy Spirit comes on you. You see, when you're born again, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you and creates a new nature. But there's another experience of his power, and it described it this way. They all all saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled. You say, what is that? Tongues are languages. They began to speak in languages they had never learned before. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each heard their own language being spoken. All of a sudden, they're empowered. 
Now, this little group of 120 people, they'd been scared to death. Jesus had been murdered in this very same city about 43, 44 days before. They'd been frightened. But now, all of a sudden, a wind comes from heaven, and the same Holy Spirit, who's recreated their nature, now empowers them. You go now. Well, pastor, why would God give me a language I've never learned? Does he still do that? Oh, you better believe it. I'll never forget when I was in taking Hebrew. I was maybe the worst Hebrew student in all the history of Hebrew. I was there. I was the ripe old wise age of 19. I was there in Hebrew class, and I wasn't exactly my professor's favorite. I was sitting in class, and he was not a believer, but he's brilliant in Hebrew. And the Lord said, go and lay hands on him and pray. I said, well, why not? My grade can't get any worse. So I went up to my professor, and I said, can I lay hands? He goes, yeah, lay hands on me. I laid hands, and I began to pray in this gift of other languages. He gets a shocked look on his face. He goes, I know that's God. That's fluent Hebrew, and I know how stupid you are. I mean, that was a sign to him. If dumb Jim LaFoon can speak in Hebrew, God is alive. This God we serve is amazing. I was in Asia praying for an extraordinary athlete, so oppressed and tormented because of terrible abuse he'd gone through. I mean, he, he was literally coming apart. And next thing I knew, I began to pray, and the power of the Lord hit him and filled him with peace. I began to pray over and over in his own language. And when that came as a sign, this God, this powerful Holy Spirit, that's, yes, the gift of tongues, but there's encouragement, there's prophecy, there's leadership, there's administration, there's healing. This God will amaze you. When the power of the Holy Spirit comes on your life, the supernatural all of a sudden begins to happen. You say, well, why would you want to speak in a language you've, you've never heard before? Well, we know from 1 Corinthians 13 that it can be human languages or angelic languages. You say, that's weird. A lot of things that are weird are true. Now watch this. I'll never forget when, when one of our seven children, we have three sons. Um, he'd played college football at about 238 pounds. He'd gone off to the mission field with his brother in some refugee camps. He'd gotten a parasite. His brother was healed. He had not been. And he'd gone from 238 pounds to 108 pounds dying in my arms. Skin and bones. I was crying over his body and I could feel his bones on my arms. This was five years ago, four years ago. And I, the doctors were out of answers. And the phone rang. It was one of my dear friends, Phil Bonasso, who Morgan knows well. Phil said, put that boy down and go outside and begin to worship. I put him down. I walked outside into the dark, distraught. And as I began to pray, I began to pray in a language I'd never learned And as I did, because the Bible says in Romans 8, when we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit prays through us. He knows how to pray perfectly. He knows God, and we connect. And all of a sudden, as I just began to worship, I connected with God afresh, and his power, and his life, and his love began to flow into me. This is the God we serve. This is his power. This Holy Spirit, the same Peter, that ran from a little teenage girl on the day of Pentecost, stood up under the power of the Spirit and prayed in boldness. You, you find in Acts 3, 6 through 8, they see the crippled man. man says, I need money. Peter says, I don't have a penny. But in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And that crippled man walked. When the Holy Spirit begins to invade your life and you turn to him, he forms a new nature the moment you're saved. Later, he'll come and empower you. You say, are sick people still healed? 
all the time. I've been healed multiple times. I'll never forget being on the border of Bulgaria in a city filled with Turkish Muslims. Great hatred between Bulgarians and Turks to this day because of things in the Ottoman Empire. And I was there, and one of my old fathers of the Lord said we're going to have a crusade. We had a mimeograph machine, no social media. It was years ago. We, figured, we, we thought of every disease we could and put it on a, one piece of paper and handed it out. And it said, Jesus heals all these things free. Come and see. I thought, this is about the stupidest thing I've ever seen. You know, who's going to really come? We got no money, no marketing. And we're driving down the road, and he got, he got the big, he rented the biggest stadium in this little town, which was a 7,000-seat soccer arena. I thought, 7,000, we're going to have seven. We're driving down the road, and we see a Muslim family dragging their teenage girl through the dirt who's paralyzed from the waist down from polio. We get in there. There's 100 people. I thought, that's what I thought. He stands up and says, Jesus is a healer. The Muslim girl screams. She's instantaneously healed. She staggers down onto the field in front of my very eyes, her whole family weeping and crying and turning to Christ. And the next day, the hospitals were emptying out, and people were coming in hospital gowns. This Jesus heals. And when you submit to the Holy Spirit in your life, you'll have power. He'll touch you. You, Every one of you has gifts of the Spirit. It's just amazing. Not only that, when the Holy Spirit empowers you, it's not just about power. It is about boldness. Um, Peter, the one that had denied all the disciples, were scared to death. They'd all run and left Christ. Judas had betrayed. Now in Acts 4.20, persecution is coming on them. They go before the Sanhedrin, and in Acts 4.20, Peter said this, As for us, we can't help speaking about it. What did Peter mean? When you are flooded with the Holy Spirit, when you are flooded with the power of God, when the Holy Spirit takes control of your life, evangelism is not even optional anymore. You're so filled with the life of God, the love of God, you can't help but invite someone to church. You can't help but reach out to someone. You can't help when you see them hurting but pray for them. Peter, in Acts 4.29, they basically had told them, preach, go to jail and be beaten. Peter falls down in Acts 4.29 and says, Consider the threats. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. When you're filled with God, when you're filled with his presence, when you're filled with his life, boldness begins to happen. There's a boldness. There's a love. You know, right now, many, many Christians have trouble evangelizing. I do. It's not for lack of training. It's for lack of filling of God's love and power. The more you're filled with his love, the more you're not filled with fear. As you're filled with God, just you love people. You reach out to people. Now, the next thing is, this thing is renewable. One of the great powers of the Holy Spirit is it's not just about getting a new nature. It's not just about being endued with power. You can have as much of the Holy Spirit's power as you want. In Acts 4, 8, the Bible says, then Peter, filled with the Spirit, they're standing before the Sanhedrin. They're basically ignorant men. They're not well-educated. Peter stands up and the Bible says, Peter filled with the spirit said to them, rulers and elders of the people over and over again in the Bible, you see men and women filled with the spirit. Peter was afraid because he stood to speak to the very group that had condemned Jesus to death. All of a sudden he felt a flooding of the Holy Spirit's presence. His fear went away. He no longer lacked words and spoke with eloquence. So much so the Pharisees said, these are ignorant, unlearned men, but they've been with this Jesus. He'll fill you over and over. 
That presentation you're afraid about. The news you don't think you can bear. Over and over again, I say, Jesus, I just need to be filled with more of you, more of your love, more of your presence. In Acts 4.31, they begin to pray, make us bold. Lord, if we have to go to prison, we go, make us bold. It says after that, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. You're talking to people here with a new nature. You're talking to people here that have already been endued with God's power, yet they're filled again. No matter where you are in your life, no matter what you're facing, Today, I will tell you, it's not just new information you need. It's new inspiration you need. You can be filled with God, filled with his love, filled with his power. Now, the third thing God will do, he'll reconcile you. The Holy Spirit is at this very essence, a spirit of reconciliation. He'll reconcile you to God. And once he reconciles you to God through his son, Jesus Christ, he will reconcile you to people. He'll reconcile you to your family. He'll reconcile you to your coworkers. You won't be able to go to bed mad at your spouse. You'll tell your children to ask them to forgive you when you've spoken harshly. And he'll recognize you to other ethnicities. Now, Jews were known for a lot of things, but love of other ethnicities was not one of them. Peter didn't go to bed every night praying to reach Gentiles. In fact, their last question to Jesus was this, when is Israel going to get its kingdom back? They had no concept of what the Holy Spirit was going to do to them. And in Acts 2, 8 through 12, from day one, they ended up with a multi-ethnic church. They were all Jews, but they were Jews from all kinds of countries with different languages and different common, different culture. I mean, God would never let them go. By Acts 2, 44, all the believers had everything together in common. By Acts 8, Philip went to Samaria and the Jews hated Samaria because when they'd been ethnically cleansed in the 700s AD by Assyria, they were also forcibly deported from 10 of the tribes and new people were planted there and they were Samaritans. Deep hatred. Let me tell you, the Pentecostal charismatic, which is sociologists call people who believe the gifts of the spirit are for today. That basically, the fountainhead of that came out of an African-American named William Seymour. He's one-eyed African-American. He'd been part of the holiness movement. And he was in Houston, fairly close to you. And he began to hear about the power of the Holy Spirit. So he decided to go to the Bible college, but because he was African-American, they wouldn't let him sit in the class. And he and some other African-Americans would sit in this Bible college in Houston under the Jim Crow laws, and the professor would crack the door and let them listen. Let them listen. Oh, William Seymour. And he was with a, a young woman, and she said, listen, I go to, a, I go to a, an African Methodist Episcopal Zion church. Would you come be our pastor? He didn't have a lot of other offers. He said, I will. He got on a train and got to Los Angeles and went down to a little house on Bonnie Bray Street. I sat in that house, and they began to pray, and all of a sudden, this is all history, one night the power of the Holy Spirit swept over these young African-Americans. As he did, the woman that he later married got on the piano, began to play beautiful, singing in multiple languages as the power of the Holy Spirit hit her. The next thing they knew, the crowd grew so big in the house in the next few days, the porch collapsed, and they moved to an old horse barn on Azusa Street. In the next three and a half years, history was changed. And God raised up a multi-ethnic church there in Los Angeles, white, black, rich, poor, And today there are about almost 600 million people that can look back to their roots from that. You see, when the spirit of God is poured out, reconciliation 
begins to take place. I've traveled the world. I was in South South Africa a couple of years ago speaking with one of the great civil rights champions of South Africa. He's a black African. He was one of the men that went to bring Mandela out of prison. And when he was fighting for freedom there, they firebombed his house. They poisoned him. They tried to kill him. They tortured him. And but God touched him. And when, when, that, when apartheid was broken, the man that had been in charge of the secret police was imprisoned. This is the man that had ordered him tortured and poisoned to die. He went to prison, fell down on his knees, told that man he forgave him, and they took communion together. He cried as he told me. How's that happen? It's the Holy Spirit of God. You see, when the Spirit of God begins to get a hold of a people, whether they're Hispanic, whether they're African American, whether they're white American, whatever they might be, whether if the issue's gender, it doesn't matter. When the Holy Spirit gets a hold of people, He begins to reconcile them. He begins to move on them. I'll never forget one of our Every Nation churches in Africa when Mandela was still president. He walked, he walked by and looked in and saw black Africans, white Africans, Indian Africans, colored South Africans. That's not a bad term there. He just saw every, every shade under the rainbow. He began to cry. True story. He walked up to our pastor and said, can I speak? Pastor, by all means, he stands up and he said, I went to prison for this and broke down crying. This is my dream. And they prayed for him. Let me tell you, the Holy Spirit will deal with you. I'm going to give you another passage. Holy Spirit will deal with you. He'll reconcile you. I, I've, I've been a part of multi-ethnic Christianity for 32 years. The church I pastored was where Martin Luther King spoke on the way to Washington and gave his first I Have a Dream speech. Our church, our, our little city was so broken, there was not a public swimming pool yet an African-American could swim in. No private ones, pardon me, one public. They couldn't even go in the country club. And in that mess, God raised up a beautiful multi-ethnic church. Let me tell you, God will get a hold of you. Where the Holy Spirit is, reconciliation is possible. I, I've been in, from Japan to Germany, around the world, I found myself representing white males as I've repented for things. I stood in front of African Americans because one of my relatives had more slaves than anyone in Kentucky. I stood in front of African Americans and as a white male over and over apologized for what I represent, what we did to them as a people. And I'll tell you, God's powerful. God is staggering. He is beyond anything we know. Peter was there praying. Last thing on his mind that he was going to go win a Roman soldier and a whole bunch of officers to Christ. He was up on the top of the roof praying. All of a sudden, a big sheet comes down. There's probably pork barbecue in there. Rudy's was in there. I mean, Lord had it. And the Lord said, Peter, eat, boy. Peter goes, no, that's unclean. Sheet came down again. I said, eat. I'd have, I'd have just taken that as a yes and eaten myself, but I'm not Peter. Eat that son. I won't eat. That's dirty. That's defiling. God says, whatever I call clean, you better never call unclean again. Peter snaps out and God says, by the way, there's someone coming to your door. Go with them whether you like it or not. Now, Peter, he didn't grow up wanting to win Romans to Christ. He didn't grow up. They would wiped out his nation. He goes and he sees A Roman servant, he says, I'm the servant of centurion so-and-so. Can you please come? Peter says, I'm going to go with you. I know this is God. He ends up in a meeting filled with Roman soldiers and their families. And Simon said, and, and the centurion said, I saw a man named Simon. I saw him here and God said, you come. And Peter said, now I know 
that God does not favor one ethnicity over another. Now I know there's not a favored ethnicity. Now I know that God touches all ethnicities. Now God was really smart. He knew it'd be hard for Peter to baptize a Gentile. So Peter begins to preach before he can even finish the power of the Holy Spirit falls on this multi-ethnic conglomeration of auxiliaries and Romans and Jews. They begin to speak in tongues and Peter says this, how can we not baptize people who God has baptized in the spirit? In that day, he baptized Roman soldiers. Oh, this Jesus, he was so different. When lepers violated his space, and as a leper, you were a social pariah. You couldn't get 50 feet from another human. When a leper violated his space, violating every social moray, every fear of disease. And, and he said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. He said, if I'm willing, do you think I'm like everyone else you've met? If I'm willing, when this Jesus gets a hold of your heart, he'll reconcile you. you say, well, how do we stay reconciled? Stay filled with God. How do we evangelize? Stay filled. It's too simple. Oh, no, no. Christianity is not hard because it's complex. It's hard because it's costly. This Peter, this buffoon, this bragger, this insecure boaster, this man who denied Christ three times when he was touched by the power of the Holy Spirit, he who had been rebuked by the father when the father said, shut up and listen to my son. Rebuked by Jesus when he said, get thee behind me, Satan. Rebuked by the Holy Spirit. He's the only man in the Bible to be rebuked by every person in the Trinity. But when the Holy Spirit got a hold of him, he was changed forever. Fear was gone. Boldness came. Love flooded his heart. He'll do the same for you. You say, what's our nation need now? Christians that are filled with God and his love and his spirit. I don't care about your political persuasion today. Or what political party, what ethnicity. I live in a different world than that. The world I live in is I am an absolute citizen of the kingdom of heaven. I love America, serve my country, jump out of airplanes, all that. But who I am today is I'm a man on a mission to stay filled with God and love this country. I've, been, I've risked my life for the gospel. I've lived in a war zone, watching people killed in front of my house and executed. I'm here to tell you. The more I'm filled with God, the more I'm filled with love for people. The more I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, the more I want to be reconciled. I can't stay unreconciled with my wife. We've been married 37 years. We've never gone to bed unreconciled. You can't. You get filled with the Holy Spirit. You get filled with his love. He'll humble you. He'll bring you to your knees. He'll humble you. I remember standing underground in China with brilliant intellectuals and students. And I, I mean, I, I never saw the light of day there. They'd only let me travel at dark years ago, standing in front of these intellectuals, realizing what the West had done to them, how as even missionaries, when they negotiated treaties to let the gospel go into China, they also negotiated at the same time for opium. I know over and over what happened. I began to detail their history Detail the history of the Western world and making them have opium. And, all, and they broke down in tears. This Jesus will humble you. This Jesus will flood you with his life. This Jesus, the supernatural will become normal in your life. You'll see things happen in your children and your family. Now, if that's the case, and it is, if you wanted more of this Holy Spirit, what would you do?
How could you have it? I've been a Christian since I was eight years old. I'll be 62 the end of this month. I've been preaching since I was 17. And the secret to it all, the more I am to myself and the more I'm filled with him, the better life goes. I have seven children, seven and counting, I might add. May well adopt another. Seven and counting. And I'll have, soon as I have triplet grandchildren on the way, I'll have seven grandchildren. If I wouldn't fill with God, I couldn't be a good father. If I wouldn't fill the spirit, I still couldn't be in love with my wife after 37 years. You fill with God, you're filled with his love. You fill with God, anxiety goes away. Fill with God, fear goes away. Now, if you wanted more of this, how might you get it? Like, what would it look like? Let me look at this in our last moments. Just say a couple things about it. Here's the promise. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. Peter said, this gift, this gift of God's love and God's power is for every human who wants it and for all of their children. I was long ago, the greatest legacy I give my children was not just paying their way through college. The greatest legacy I could give my children was the gift of the Holy Spirit and who God is in Christ as their Savior. Now, Peter stands up and quotes an ancient prophecy of Joel where it says, in the last days, God says, I'm going to pour out my Spirit on all people, regardless of gender, regardless of ethnicity. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams, even on servants, even on the people in the lowest echelons of society in the eyes of the world. I'll pour out my spirit and they'll prophesy. When Peter said to me, he said, this is that which Joel spoke about, which is regardless of your ethnicity, regardless of what pain you went through, regardless whether you're male or female, regardless of where you may be socially, economically, or demography, or where you went to college, regardless, power of the Holy Spirit can be yours today. And Jesus explained it this way in John 7, 37 to 39. On the last and greatest day of the feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus stood in a loud voice and said, if you're thirsty, if you're thirsty for more of God, Thirsty for more of my love. Thirsty for more of my peace. Come to me and drink. And if you'll believe what you're asking for, Scripture says, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Holy Spirit, whom those who believe in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given He had not been glorified. Now, there are five words here, thirst. If you're thirsty today, Jesus will answer that prayer with more of him. No matter what it is you might be thirsting for, thirst for God. Second, come, you've got to come. You can't just stay where you are. Who do you come? You come to him. People lay hands on you, but you come to him. Jesus will give you what he promised. Thirdly, you've got to drink, and drink is a metaphor in the Bible. It's really a metaphor for drawing close. So you draw close in prayer. 
You draw close in worship. You draw close in the Bible. You draw close in hearing. This is come to me and worship. Come to me and pray. Come to me and wait. And believe what the Bible says. This promises to you and your children. If the apostles needed the Holy Spirit and they were discipled by Jesus, I needed even more. Do you believe what the scripture says? And if you believe the Bible says, out of your belly, out of your inner man or woman, will flow rivers of living water. 